Hello everyone, and welcome back to another episode of After School with Dylan Matt. Today we're with Walter Badu. Walter was born and raised in Accra, Ghana, and is passionate about the power of technology-enabled businesses to unlock access to Africa's trillion-dollar informal economy. He is co-founder and general partner of 40X Ventures. However, Walter also spent a decade at Morgan Stanley. In this episode, we interview Walter and ask him about how he started his company, what it takes to be an entrepreneur, how his mindset has helped him get through life, and everything in between. If you'd like to support me further, please go to my Instagram, website, or Patreon and support me there. Thank you and enjoy. Hello, Walter. Thank you again for coming onto the podcast. It's great for you to be here. Great to great to to, to meet you, Dylan. It's uh, it's very nice to to be a part of what you've started, which I think is is extremely cool. I wish I was doing this when I was your age, and um, I was very excited when I when I when I heard about it, and, and thought it would be a lot of fun to to be a part of it. So thank you for having me. Thank you, thank you. So just to uh, first start us off, you know. For our listeners, what what do you do? You know, what's your right now at least? What do you do? What is your job? Yeah, it's it's a good question. You know, my my uh, my six year old daughter uh, asks me that uh, quite quite a lot, and you know, I remember the first time she <laughs> asked me, I was struggling to explain to her <laughs> what it was. Um, but basically, the way I put it is, I, I help really really talented people uh, start companies, and and that's sort of really the essence of start and grow companies that's the essence of what i do the more sort of commercial term for it is i uh i'm a venture capital investor and so i invest in very very early stage companies and so usually when i'm meeting the management team of the company they either have no product in the market or are just starting to, to, to release the product into the market and usually these businesses have a nexus to technology. And so um, what we do is we invest in founders who are building technology-enabled uh, businesses in Africa. Uh, and so what we like to say is we, 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 we really wake up in the morning to help combine capital, people, uh, and potential to really unleash the next wave of innovation on the African continent. Great. So. You know, I know we would talked off the, the show about what you're doing, but I have this signature question. And um, so I'm 17 now, right? Just turned 17, mm-hmm. actually. I'm a junior in high school. But, like, around that age, like, you know, what, what, what most people, what I would ask is, you know, when you get back from school, what are you doing? I know it's a little bit different <laughs> for you. Yeah. So maybe, like, you know, let's just go back to, like, younger years then. When you like, you know, mm-hmm. when you were at home, like, what were your hobbies? You know, what were you, what were you interested in, like as a kid? Like, were yeah. you into like reading a lot, or like, were you a studious, you know, or sports player? Or yeah, so I was, I was. Um, when I look back, I was. I think I had a a bit of a unique childhood, in that I was a total nerd, but I also was really into sports, which usually doesn't kind wow. of mix. Yeah. But it was, Black and it was white. quite right. It was like oil and water. But I, I was, I was, was in this unique position where I was hugely into sports. I played a lot of sports growing up. 
uh, soccer, uh, basketball, you know, I, I played them at, at, at high levels. And at the same time, I was totally fascinated by the idea of learning and, you know, was really nerdy. I went to computer school when I was 10 years old. Um, you know, my father sent, sent my brother and I to computer school back in Ghana. And this is when people didn't even know what computers were. Yeah. Uh, and so I had this incredible, you know, um, exposure in terms of learning about new things and having parents who really pushed me, um, you know, on the educational side of things. But then I had this incredible passion for sports. And so, like I said, I played basketball, played soccer. I did taekwondo for many years. And so my life very much growing up was pretty, um, you know, vibrant when I think back to it, because I had both of these things at the same time, which was, you know, now looking back, quite rare. Great. So, so though, now, what, what were you doing when you were 16 or, you know? Yeah. You know? So, so I was, I, I grew up in, uh, in Ghana in Accra. I, I moved to the U.S. when I was 12 years old. And I went to boarding school, um, you know, at, at Groton School in Massachusetts. And so I spent my teenage years, by and large, uh, away from my parents, right? I was, in, I was in boarding school. And so I really grew up um, in school. And I had all my friends with me, you know, the majority of the school year. And so it was a really fun time, right? Because after school, I'd have sports. After sports, I'd go back from the dorm. I'd be with my friends. You know, we'd be, you know, joking around, having fun, but then there was time for, for studying and all of that. And so it was very enriching. And I think the, the, the most important thing for me is I always had this burning desire to be in business. You know, I saw entrepreneurship growing up. My mother, um, you know, had, had executed a few different businesses when I was young. My grandmother was, uh, was a trader. Uh, in, in Ghana back, back in the day as well as, you know, my, both my maternal and my paternal uh, uh, grandmothers were, were in business. And so I, I was always surrounded by this entrepreneurial energy. And I think looking back, there's a, probably a little bit of osmosis there um, that pushed me toward the idea of business and finance and all of that. And so while a lot of my friends were probably hanging out and, and, and playing sports and enjoying themselves over the summer, I spent my summers really from the age of uh, you know, 14, uh, you know, interning every single summer at a bank, essentially. Uh, and I have never had any other job since that age. I've been in the business investment world uh, since the age of 14. So I know you're talking about, um, I like to ask people, like, so we have some people on the show that there was like an event that happened and they were like, this is like, this is what I love to do. You know, like, I, I had someone who, he thought he wanted to be a doctor, then he, like, couldn't stand blood, and then he, like, started cooking at home, and now he's a Michelin star right. chef, right? It seems, mm -hmm. and I was gonna ask, is it, was there any singular event that really, like, cemented it? Or, like you said before, was it really just more, like, gradual, like, it was inevitable, like, you know what I mean? Like, your family all, yeah. like, was kind of, was it more on the gradual side, you would say? Or do you think there was a event that you were like, wow, like, this is... This yeah, I think it's always interesting to con to, to connect um, feeling and sentiment with, you know, sort of actual events. And I always, like I said, had this, you know, desire to be in business, in the business world, etc. I think, interestingly enough, my first internship 
in investment banking, um, you know, at an investment bank, I should say, at Credit Suisse First Boston in New York was probably the turning point uh, for me mentally in terms of the shift to really zeroing in on what I wanted to do. So I had the pleasure of interning uh, and working with your mom, uh, you know, on, on the, on the uh, interest rate derivative sales desk uh, in, in New York as a very, very young kid who didn't know anything. And, you know, they were great enough to allow me to just hang out there for the summer and just ingest all of this knowledge. And the thing that really, I think, turned it around for me was how in learning about structured products and hedging and all of these things, you know, it was, there was a creative element to it because you were taking very abstract concepts, right? But then it would mechanically affect the world because you're helping a bank, for example, hedge their, their, their portfolio of mortgages that they've literally given money to people to buy houses. Mm-hmm. And so that creative exercise of being able to take abstract concepts, applying them to the world that we live in and having it have true impact on people's daily lives, you know, looking back was really where the shift happened. And, and I, I just felt at home uh, on the trading desk. And it just naturally came to me in terms of learning about the global financial markets, something that I was super passionate about. And it was very natural uh, for me as well. Great. I mean, that's amazing. You're at such a young age, you know. A lot of my friends now, including me, would be like terrified to like ask older people. <laughs> like, did you ever have some like you know some fear or some nervousness? And like, how did you like overcome that at like such a young age? Yeah, I think you know, look. I think um, <clears throat> I grew up probably very quickly relative to my my friends because remember I went to boarding school, right? So I, I learned to be independent Living from a alone, very very yeah. young, young age, you know, from the age of fourteen, and so. I was really, um, you know, naive probably uh, in that I wasn't really scared of anything just because I spent my days at school living with older people 24-7, right? And so the idea of asking them for things, interacting with them was was a little bit more natural. I will say, though, um, on the trading floor, it was intimidating when I first started because you walk on this floor. I remember back in the day, you know, at the Credit Suisse trading floor on the fourth floor, I'll never forget it. You know, you walk in, there's just hundreds and hundreds of rows of computers. And, you know, these guys were incredibly smart guys. It was very, very intense. And so, you know, in the beginning, it, I'm not going to lie, it was very, very intimidating. But I think this is where the relationship uh, with, with, with Hag, um comes into play because she made it very comfortable for me because I, I felt like I could be myself and really be confident in the idea that I was trying to actually learn what was going on. And she gave me responsibility very, very early. You know, I was working with a guy named Jack Hammond at the time on her desk. And um, there was a morning printout, which they called the morning run, that Jack would print out. It was, Jack was, you know, very early in his career back then. Jack would print this document out and it had different, like, you know, uh, research pieces about rates globally and what was going on. And very early on, they gave me the responsibility to do it. So I'd come in super early in the morning, I'd print this thing, staple it, and be handing it out to all the salespeople and traders. And it was really, really cool because it helped me build a natural. (laughs) Well, it was just. They they trusted you. Wow. They trusted me, right? I didn't. I didn't screw up the photocopies and the coffee, which was which was a a, a good first step, you know. But um, it was really fun. I know when I like I 
like when I was like 14 or start 15 like I'd come up and see my mom at work like I wouldn't be allowed to like see anything because they didn't like trust me at all like completely different <laughs> they like blindfolded me they were like, like don't like don't walk here and I was like oh my god like I don't know what I'm that's doing that's really funny but um so when were you like you know when did you start this like and what what made you want to start your own you know become a co-founder yeah and mm-hmm. and like yeah and so, just so, the process of starting something as well yeah. like, how did you what challenges like did you, you like you faced you know that you might have not even yeah. expected so so two i'll break the question up in two pieces so one is yeah. how did i come to starting this and then two is what the journey has has looked like since uh, since we started so um you know i i always had an affinity for where i came from right which is don i've always had a, a big affinity toward don and africa as a whole and you know throughout my years what i what i was realizing is i was learning things and getting the type of exposure that when applied to business back where i come from would really be transformational um and so you know when i went to university my best friend in college and i actually ran a business together um it was a marketing company back at tufts university in boston and you know when we left school he went on to to jp morgan and bridgewater and then I went on to Morgan Stanley, where I spent 10 years. And the whole time, there was no doubt in my mind that I was going to start an investment firm, okay? And I was going to start it with a focus on Africa. That was, a, that was just very, very clear. I even said that to your mom back when I was 16, that this is what I wanted to do. And so it's a, it was very, very clear for me. Um, but the, the, the question was, okay, what asset class is it going to be? What are we actually going to focus on doing, right? And... The coolest thing was that as I was getting older, I was seeing the transformation of Africa through technology, right? So in my day job, I was helping hedge fund managers start hedge funds, right, which are just um, investment firms. Yeah. And then when I, whenever I'd take my vacations back to Africa, I would see all of this innovation that was happening from dial-up internet. I don't even know if dial-up internet was around when, when you, were, you were younger. <laughs> I've um, heard of it. You know, where you'd connect your phone to your computer and you literally dial up and you hear the sound, you know, dialing up to the internet, uh, all the way to DSL and then the chips for the phones. And so I saw this whole transformation happening on the ground. My, my partner, my business partner, Peter had seen the same thing happening in China as well. And so we put two and two together and we said, wow, you know, it's very likely that this trend of the mobile internet and the impact of cell phones was going to happen in all the different emerging markets. Because when I was growing up in Ghana, having a computer was a, a huge novelty because they were very expensive, right? But now I was seeing basically the equivalent of people having full-blown computers in their pockets. And to me, the light bulb went off, which is this is going to have a tremendous impact on the continent. And so Peter and I started uh, a micro fund where we put our own capital together. This was in 2013. Yeah. And we started you know, investing our own money in the, in, in, in the venture space, uh, you know, in frontier and emerging markets, specifically with a big focus on Africa. And then by 2017, we felt like we'd learned quite a bit about what was happening. We had had some early successes as well. And so, you know, we went ahead and left what we were doing. I left Morgan Stanley. Peter uh, was at a family office at the time, and he left. And, um, you know, we started out building 40X Ventures, uh, where... You know, we raised our first external fund from investors who we had to go 
essentially tell the story uh, regarding what we were doing and why we thought this opportunity was a transformational one in our lifetime uh, and how we plan to execute it. And, uh, you know, fast forward to, to today, you know, it's a much bigger firm now. We, we now have, you know, almost 15 people, four different offices around the world. Um, and, That's you amazing. know, the firm has grown pretty, pretty significantly. And uh, we backed companies all across the continent, um, you know, in, in some of the key regions, uh, you know, on, on, in, in Africa. And I would say the journey has, has certainly been unique. I think Peter and I's experience uh, and, and sort of what we had done in the past gave us a sense of a, a bit of credibility when we were coming out to launch the firm. Um, but, you know, the idea of two people running an investment firm, you know, uh, in theory sounds difficult. In practice, it's even worse uh, <laughs> because today, <laughs> today I look back and, uh, you know, we have 15 people doing work a lot of which Peter and I were doing just by the two by ourselves. Awesome. And so there were a lot of sleepless nights and a lot of, uh, a lot of intense activity, but you know, the most significant thing I think is having passion for what you do because we're both very passionate about what we do. And I've always been passionate about this. And so it's, it's never really been work. It's really been, um, you know, a, a, a way of life, if you will. And so it, it never really feels too much. That's amazing. I actually want to ask about, <clears throat> you know, you guys are leaving the safety of the jobs you've had. Like, like, mm -hmm. did you have to like prepare yourself for like the risk and like also like I assume mm -hmm. like external people in your life would, would probably like not not everyone would probably or did everyone support you fully? Because I know like at least with my family, I don't know if everyone in my whole family would be like, yeah, go for it, like leave your job, go, <laughs> go do what you know. And like, did you, yeah, or yeah. were you just like, did you, were you like, I believe in myself so much that like the risk is not even like there, or did you acknowledge there was risk and that this could fail maybe? And like, yeah, how did you just manage all of that? Yeah, that's a, that's a, that's an excellent question. So, you know, I think this is where discipline comes back again. Um, you know, in that I had a, a pretty clear idea as to what I wanted to do, right? By, by the time I left. I had an idea as to what Peter and I were going to do. We had tested it with our own capital to see if it was going to work, right? And so I had actually prepared myself for this idea of leaving and spending some time trying to build this firm and being very rational and clear about the fact that it very well could fail. And Peter and I gave ourselves two years. And we said, look, we're going to put everything we have in here for two years. We're going to spend all our money trying to build yeah, this Yeah, I heard firm. all your money if too. We that's... It's a big risk. If, if we don't scale, it's a huge risk. If we don't <laughs> fail, great. If we fail, it means the market's fundamentally telling us that they're not buying what we're selling. And if you're an entrepreneur, that is the best clarity you can have where the market's fundamentally telling you, listen, yep. no we demand. don't like what you're selling. There's no demand and you need to go do something else. And so how did it actually play out practically? Um, I made sure that you know I had uh, the, the financial... Our stability you know we had just had our first daughter um at the time when i was when i was preparing to leave so you can imagine how high the stakes oh, were my God, yes, uh and so i spoke parents. to my wife exactly uh. new parents i spoke to my wife she was very supportive frankly having a child was a big reason and a big catalyst for leaving but that's a totally different conversation um <laughs> and so i i spoke to my wife she was on board she was very very supportive and then i called my mom and she started crying 
which was which was which was always interesting. <laughs> yeah, and she's you know she's thinking, oh my god, you're Morgan Stanley, you're vice president, you're doing really well. Where are you going? You know, and so um, once she once she was able to wipe off her tears, you know, she she uh, she she started understanding and trusting in my judgment. My father was always you know very level and very trusting, and, and all he said is, listen, it's about forward progress. It's about putting one foot in front of the other. You know what you want to do. I'm sure you have the right judgment on it. I support you. So my dad was a, a lot more uh, level about it. My mom definitely was freaking out. Uh, and and my, my peers were extremely supportive. Extremely supportive. Great. I mean, you know, all of my closest friends were some of our earliest uh, investors. Some of my clients were investors, right? Um, and so all of the relationships, if you can imagine, you know, from 16 at Credit Suisse, all those relationships over the years all came into came into be very beneficial as we were starting out because I, I was able to leverage a lot of those relationships to solve a lot of the problems that we had and challenges that we had starting out. That's, that's amazing. Did, so I'm curious, I think when most people think of entrepreneur, at least in my age, they think of like, selling like a physical product you know like like engineering base you know, was that um mm-hmm. never like an interest for you like you never want to dabble your toes and like maybe selling like some sort of you know i don't know bottle or whatever <laughs> like, I, don't, yeah. I don't know so so that's interesting so I, I had i had dabbled with a few entrepreneurial ventures before this and you know like i said peter and i started a company in college it was also a service based. It, it was more of a service based business in marketing. Um, I had also started a, a bit of a non profit slash for profit business that was um, essentially sent, selling uh, water bottles with filters. It's called Go Water Africa, um, where we got we were able to work with a production a company in China to essentially produce these water bottles that had ionic absorption filters, um, wow. uh, you know, carbon absorption filters in them to be able to filter river water and all these other things. And that was extremely challenging and humbling. You know, we eventually had to had to pull the business. But, you know, I, I got a first hand view of how difficult it was to actually execute business on the on the ground. And so and then it also taught me that where I uh, felt like I had an edge was really on the finance side of things, on the investing side of things versus actually running a company, um, you know, and for me, it was about having exposure to a number of different businesses versus going very, very deep on one particular one. And I found that I had a lot more energy um, and passion for being able to, uh, you know, work with entrepreneurs across different industries and sectors versus being in one sector and, and, and going in on my own. And, and if you think about what I did as a career more than Stanley, you know, I'd work with different hedge funds and, and many of them were executing different strategies. So whether it's long, short equity, quantitative, you know, systematic macro, what, what, what have you, these are all very different products. And I found that I had a lot of passion being able to learn again, back to the theme of learning, being able to learn about very different businesses and, and business models. And so it was, it was much more of a fit um, to be in venture capital than to actually just, just build and sell a product. I mean, it's, it sounds like to me, though, as well, like, can you still hear me, by the way? Oh, sorry, sorry. Yeah, I can hear you. <laughs> you froze. Yeah, I can um, hear you. 
it's it sounds like though as well like like and like, I'm so glad it didn't. But even if like 4DX Ventures didn't go the way you wanted to, you would have still kept pushing for something else in the future. Like it sounds like you have great resilience. 100%. And like so how how like where? Hundred percent. Yeah, where do you get this resilience? Because I feel like a lot of people like I don't know like even me I'd be like after starting things and things and seeing like how harsh it is I'd be like pretty demotivated and I'd be like okay like whatever like I, I failed you know and then I'd give up like how did you keep staying motivated and being like I believe in myself etc you know what I mean like mentally that just sounds yeah I think look I think um, to me belief is a function of uh, discipline um, analysis and forward thinking what I mean by that is blind belief is insanity, right? Like believing, oh, like this thing I'm doing is going to work just because I say it's going to work. <laughs> that's, completely, that's completely crazy, right? However, when you take your time to truly hold yourself accountable and, and have discipline to learn the things you need to learn, right? Test your own hypothesis. Find the data to back or refute your view. When you do that, when you decide to do something, you have a significant amount of information and a lot more honesty about what you're doing. Because if you believe that you have, you know, an ounce of intelligence and you've applied that intelligence to essentially, you know, stress testing your ideas, then when you go out to actually execute your idea, you've anticipated a lot of the roadblocks that may actually come. You're not just running out and, you know, just saying, okay, you know, may the forces be with us. Let's go. Let's go. You've actually thought, exactly. Like, (laughs) let's just, you know, you've actually thought about all of the different things that may, you, there's, it's impossible to think about all of it, but you've thought about all the potential things you can think about that may derail the plan and come up with uh, remedial strategies around those things. And to me, that's really what entrepreneurship is. It is not just blind faith and just like running out, right? It's, your ability to have persistence and grit is a function of preparation, right? And when you are prepared, if from the outside looking in, it looks like you have a lot of perseverance. But the reason why you have a lot of persistence and perseverance is because you're prepared. Ah, and that's what separates people like you from people like that have <laughs> maybe Pre- not have the most preparation, successful. Preparation is the key. So obviously, though you are human, so you kind of have probably prepared for anything. So of course. <laughs> um, so how did you deal with things that we were like, "Whoa, like what? What is this? Like I did not expect this," you know? And like, what were yeah. your biggest challenges when starting Forty uh, X Ventures? You know, like were you like, yeah. "Oh my god, like this came out of like left wing or whatever," like, and then yeah, you mm-hmm. had to. You know, I think I think the the most humbling experience has been learning, you know, where my own limitations stop, right? Like where, where I have fundamentally have limitations and, you know, being able to be comfortable with that. What I mean by that is in our work, you're working with a bunch of different entrepreneurs, right? And we are the supporting cast. The entrepreneurs are the stars, right? And I have had to learn to accept that I will not be able to necessarily affect everything in the company. At the end of the day, it is the entrepreneur's company. But we have capital in that company. And so when things aren't going 
the way that you would like for them to go? How do you still maintain an even keel posture and try to focus on helping the entrepreneur, knowing very well that you know they may not necessarily be doing it how you might think it should be done? Right. And so you can give them advice, but they have their own views as to how to execute. How do you straddle giving them advice while still acknowledging your limitations in terms of you not being able to actually run the business? And that's not your job. And that is even more pronounced when things don't necessarily go the right way or things aren't going right. Right. Because we're investing in a myriad of companies. Not all of them are going to succeed. We're undoubtedly going to have companies that fail. And so how do you deal with that? And how do you essentially tell yourself, listen, I did everything I could and it still wasn't enough. And, 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 and being able to counsel entrepreneurs through some of those difficult times is something that has really, you know, helped me really understand, um, you know, how, how this business works because that level of, of humbleness and humility uh, around the things that you cannot control is really, really important. And so, you know, the way I think about it is what are the things that are in our control and what are the things that are not in our control? And usually when, when difficult things hit you, you know, you can get whipsawed. But when that happens, what I'm learning to do, and I'm by no means perfect at this, and I'm still, wor- I'm still learning and working on it. When these things hit you, the first question you got to ask is, okay, that happened. What part of this do I control and what part of it do I not control? And the part of it that I do control, I make sure that I rigorously control it, right? Do your best. And then, and then do my best. And then once I can do that, I can say, okay, the things that I can't control are the things that I can't control, right? They're going to happen how they may. And that's the world we live in, right? And so if you think about, you know, whether or not interest rates are going to go up, you know, uh, to 5%, 8%, 10%, I can't control that, right? Um, what I can control is, you know, how am I choosing which entrepreneurs I want to work with? You know, how am I deciding what businesses we want to be involved in, right? How do we react to when things are not going as well? How do we help the entrepreneur fix things that are broken? Those are the things we can control. And if we can continuously do that, it will compound, and at the end of the day, we will be fine. And and we just have to continue focusing on the things that we can control and just one foot in front of the other. And if we can do that, we'll make mistakes. But over the arc of time, when you compound good decision-making, good habits, uh, those tend to lead you to a successful place. Yeah, well, <clears throat> so to me what I'm hearing is like, as long as you did like the best that you in your power, then there are no regrets because you you did what you could. What, exactly. I see. Like you would feel regret if like you there's something you could have done and you didn't do it. Then that's where you messed that's, up. That's that's difficult. And and what I what we always talk about as a team is this idea of good judgment, right? And so when we're making decisions, the first question we ask ourselves is: Are we exercising good judgment here, right? Um, and if we can always err on the side of good judgment, we will be fine because we will never really question our decision making. Um, we may, but ultimately we're making the decision with the, the information that we have at the time. And if we can exercise good judgment with the information that we have whenever we're making decisions, 
we will regret a lot less, right? That doesn't mean you still won't regret things and, you know, you won't be uh, bothered by things that may yeah. happen, negative things that may happen in business. Yeah. Sure. But it's much easier to deal with that when you, to your point, can, can, can say to yourself, I did the best that I could and it still wasn't enough. Of course, it's never going to, like, even things out of control that happen, you, you obviously, I, I bet everyone would still be like, oh, God, like, this sucks, you know, like, and you're never going to exactly. be like, like, oh, whatever, like, but still, like, at you least know, you did everything. And, and also, good. 100%, and what that, what, I, what that has taught me is, you know, a little bit of stoicism and how to really be even keel, right? Not, not be too high, but not go too low. And try to maintain a, 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 a stable emotional base um, from where to actually operate the business. Because if you get swept up in the wind, um, it, it becomes very difficult to do this job uh, well because you build up these biases that really affect you and, and lead to bad decision making. And so, what I'm what I'm learning and what I've learned is is, is keeping this stoicism and trying to be even keel whether it's wild successes or, or deep, deep, painful uh, failures, trying to maintain perspective at all times. Yeah, it seems like you've gotten very comfortable with failing or making mistakes, but it seems like you just, yeah. like, your, your mindset is like, I just have to learn. I have to learn, which I feel like Precisely. a lot of people, a lot of people, let's be honest, like, don't, like, if everyone did that, then, like, maybe the world would be different, but, you know. Yeah, well, but, well you got to remember, you know, reason why I'm, I, I may seem like I'm okay with failure is because I focus on judgment, right? Because if you exercise good judgment and there's failure, you can't control, remember? Control mm. the things you can. So I'm okay with failure when, you know, it's happening regardless of the fact that I've tried my best and, and, and made good decisions as much as I could um, and it was still not enough. And if that's the case, it's like, okay, well, like, you know, it is what it is. <laughs> there's, there's nothing I can do, right? <laughs> but, uh, no, so, yeah. also, yeah, just, just talking to you, Walter, you also, though, seem like a very, like, personable person, like, good to talk to, right? I'm wondering, and I assume that, obviously, with something like this, you, you're doing a lot of talking to people, like, you know, new entrepreneurs or just, like, when you're hiring people. One, like, I'm curious, like, are these just, like, natural gifted skills of yours or did you like was there something like where you like really learned how to talk i feel like a lot of people in the world would love to be able to talk like you you know just like very you know maybe charismatic is the word like i don't <laughs> but um right. yeah like where'd you develop you know, these skills yeah it, it's interesting that you say that if you, if you spoke to my team to tell you I'm, I'm i'm like the biggest introvert in the world um <laughs> you know but 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 i think i think for me you know i spent a lot of time with my thoughts you know, I spent a lot of time thinking and and I always have been somebody who loves the idea of, of long stretches of time, just thinking and, and working and learning and, and you know, uh, testing myself. And I think what I always try to do is, number one, be ruthlessly honest um, and really uh, focus on authenticity and what you call charisma, I call truth, right? And I, I have learned that when you speak from a place of honesty and truth and unvarnished truth at that, because there are certain things you may say that people might not want to hear, but 
you have to be able to tell them the truth, even when it's a difficult message. And so for me, it's been focusing on being authentic at all times, um, you know, being empathetic, but truthful, being able to deliver difficult messages in a very simple and clear way, uh, but with empathy, right? Um, and, and to me, when, when you execute from that place, people tend to be drawn to that because they know what they're getting is your true authentic self. And they don't have to be worried about whether there's an agenda or you, you know, you don't have to worry about any of yeah, that. Any hidden stuff. They can also let their, any hidden things, they can just let their guard down and be honest and direct with you, just like you're being with them. And I, I would be lying if I said I came out of the womb like this. <laughs> you know, I spent 10 years uh, on, I, I spent way more years than that on Wall Street, but I spent 10 years at Morgan Stanley and a good part of that. I was on our sales team for about eight, eight of those years. I was on our, on, our, on our prime brokerage sales team. And so every single day, I was forced by definition of my job to speak to people, right? And so what you, you learn how to interact with people. You learn how to uh, get people to, to trust you. You learn how to solve problems for people. And you learn how to be authentic because, you know, on Wall Street, no one, no one has time for bullshit, right? Mm-hmm. They want to know the truth. They got things to do. You know, everybody wants to know what the truth is because that's that's really be what that concise, is. precisely. And so when you operate from that place, I have found that it actually cuts across the world. Everybody wants to be around somebody who they can be themselves with, and who they don't feel has an agenda, and who they know at all times will tell them the truth and be authentic. So it seems like what you do is you take that first step in creating that environment of honesty like hey we're honest here yeah it also seems yeah i mean like i'm connecting a lot of things and i might be dramatizing it but it seems like you know when as a kid you said like you had that nerdy side to you which is probably technically Mm -hmm. how you're doing this but also maybe that sports side of you like that competitive fire the the like how to to win mindset seems i can really be on a team exactly how to be on a team player absolutely right so um yeah when you're looking at like someone you know, like to like invest in or whatever with your mm-hmm. company. I, I, I assume you're obviously not just looking, like you said, at like what the company actually is, but also the entrepreneur. So mm-hmm. what like traits of that person like are you looking for? You know, like let's That's- say let's say yeah, let's say some kids that are listening to this want to be an entrepreneur. And obviously to be an entrepreneur you need to get angel investors, et cetera, et cetera. And they're wondering, like, what personality traits should I work on? I was just wondering, like, yeah, what do mm-hmm. you think is like? Yeah, that's a that's a great question, and, and and you know, I'll preface that by saying, you know, people is the number one thing in our industry, right? And and when when as a firm, our ethos is really people first, and so we spend a lot of time with entrepreneurs getting to know them. And I would say, you know, I'll give you some some sort of traits, but then I will uh, ultimately tell you sort of how how I answered some of these questions. The first thing is, you know, does this person fundamentally have intellectual horsepower, period? Like, is this somebody who is a, a deep thinker, you know, very, very smart, can, is very analytical, can solve problems, period? Because if you don't have that, it's very difficult to do what we do. You have to have intellectual horsepower. The second one is, is this person trustworthy, right? Is this somebody I would trust with my money? Right? Is this someone who I trust to tell me the truth at all times? Back to the point about authenticity. 
The third one is grit and perseverance. Because to your point, it's never going to be a straight road. It's going to be a curved road. There's going to be a ton of challenges. Does this person have what it takes to push through those challenges and ultimately win on the other side, right? Um, and then, and then I would say the last piece is coachability, right? Because it, it's not only enough to have incredible amounts of intellectual firepower. It's actually really important to have some humility, right? To know that there's a ton more that you don't know and be coachable, right? So that if people are telling you things and people are bringing their perspectives to the fore, you're not shutting them down thinking you're the one who knows everything, but you actually make room for different perspectives. And when you add all of this up, the question I ask myself at the end, fundamentally, and there's a bunch of other things that we look at, right? But the fundamental question I ask myself at the end is, would I work for this person? Because if I wouldn't work for this person, how would I expect somebody else to work for them? Because your job as a CEO and as a founder, a lot of wow. times, is going to be recruiting people, right? And if so if you can't convince me that I should work for you, <laughs> and I'm in the business, precisely, how are you going to convince somebody else? And so there's a bunch of different attributes that we look at, but ultimately the fundamental question that, that we're trying to answer, and I'm trying to answer, is, is this somebody I would work for? Do I believe in their vision enough to work for them, right? Um, and so that's kind of how that's kind of how, how 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 I think about that. That's that's very powerful because when I hear you know other, it seems like you know obviously you are investing in them. You have I guess like I don't know what the word is like a higher position, but you like it seems like you like I don't know what the word is not lower yourself, but you like you equal yourself and you like see like what I work for them like. I've never heard anyone yeah, say it, that. Yeah, look, it, it, and and I think that is that is a, 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 a an interesting paradigm, right? Because you know, Peter and Peter and I, we see ourselves at Forty X as the supporting cast to the entrepreneurs. So we are actually fortunate that many of these entrepreneurs choose to work with us, right? And so for us, like we're asking ourselves very very commonsensical questions, which is let's not overcomplicate this. Would we work for this person? And if the answer is no, we should probably not be backing them because <laughs> people people are not going to want to work for them. And if you can't recruit a team, there's nothing to do, right? Yeah, I mean, it seems like it just see. Yeah, I mean, I feel like you really like focus on like not getting in your own head and getting like like you know exactly. like, I don't know the word like balloon headed, you know, very like egotistical, like egotistical, right? Because then you like lose right. your eyes on the prize, and then. Precisely. You start like, you know, thinking about all kinds of crazy things and the thing that, that is important in front of you, you end up missing. So this has been great so far, Walter. I have one more question for you. As you know, um, this is, all, as I said before, this is for kids, um, you know, kids like me, but also for adults. I mean, I have a lot of actually like moms listening in. They love, they love this. Um, but I know a bunch of kids, obviously, that they want to start a company. Because it's just, it's such right. like a, it, it's, but it seems so far away for people like me, mm -hmm. you know, it's like, wow, mm -hmm. like you look at like, I mean, obviously everyone's comparing to like Amazon, Apple, and you're like, whoa, like these giant, whatever, but how would you, and this is, this might be a hard question, but how would you comfort these people? What would you tell them? Yeah. You know? No, what I would tell them two things. Number one is something I've said already is preparation, Right. 
spend time with your idea. Think about it. How would I execute it? Write it down. I would do this and this and this and this. Okay, now go back to each of those steps and try to understand what are all the impediments that could derail your idea and then try to figure out what your remedial solutions would be to those impediments, right? And so planning is extremely important because when you plan, it takes the mystique out of entrepreneurship. And what you then realize is it's just a series of steps that you have to take, right? And so what seems very, very, you know, um, uh, unattainable, you actually realize is quite attainable because those people that you're talking about, Amazon, etc., they took a series of steps, one foot in front of the other, step one, step two, step three, all the way to their vision, right? And so taking the mystique out of entrepreneurship is a function of preparation, right? And, 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 and mechanical preparation down to the minute points uh, of accuracy and, and figuring out, okay, what do I need to go from step A to step B to step C to D, right? And then the second thing I would say is um, it, it's great to have a big vision, right? But it's even more important to couple that big vision with small pieces to cut the vision down into smaller steps and smaller little pieces wins. that you could little wins, right? And and for example, you know, if 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 you want to start a company, you know, um, and you prepare and and you test your idea and you talk to the people you trust about this idea, starting on a very small scale, right? If you wanna if you wanna, you know, build one of the coolest, you know, juice brands in, in the US, maybe start off selling lemonade in your neighborhood. See how that goes. Right? And learn about learn about the business, learn about cash flow, learn about, you know, the, 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 the financials and all of these things. You start actually learning how the business works. And then you, you keep adding things to that. And over time you'll see to back to to, to my earlier point. It's a series of steps. And when you look back, you'll see it compounds over time. And so that's what I would say. One, take the mystique out of it by planning. And two, have a big vision, but know there's a significant amount of value to starting with little steps. Walter, thank you again. This has been you got it. amazing. So like, I don't know what the word, like elegant. <laughs> that's like the first word that comes to me. It's just like, it's beautiful. But thank that's you so awesome, much for... Good for coming on the it. podcast. It, it means so much. Um, you know, hopefully I can meet you one day when you come back to New York yeah, City. Yeah, for sure. Next time next time I'm in New York City, yeah. I'd love to to take you out and uh, and, and 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 you know, we can we can have some more chats. So I really that appreciate means. it. This is really cool and I'm I'm totally jealous uh, of you. I wish, you know, when I was your age, I could do something this cool. <laughs> I'm jealous of you. I, I wish I wish they would have blindfolded me when I went to my mom's office. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, thank you, Walter. Enjoy the rest of your week. You got it. Thank you so much. All right, you too. All right.